0: Again, to everyone here in person, gathering together and singing, hearing your voices, it's great. To everyone watching online, didn't hear your voice, but hopefully you were singing too. It's a joy to be together. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 29. We're going to look at 28, 29, and 30. As you're turning there, just a quick announcement for right now. Um, On Sunday, March 21st, we are going to be returning to a single morning service here at this same time starting at 1030. We right now currently have a 1030 and a 5 p.m. And instead of the 5 p.m. service, we're going to have seating here in the main auditorium and also in the fellowship hall where we can get another 50 or so people gathering together there safely and appropriately as we've been doing for the last better part of a year. Um, Part of the reason why this change is we, one, want to be together and just the beforehand and the after time and connecting outside or, you know, just seeing each other, it is a joy. And so um, that is another way that we're sharing in the same time together. We'll continue to have our streaming service uh, for the 1030. Second reason why is we want to sort of bridge into the the who knows how or when or what that we move out of the current situation brought on by COVID into More of what we would consider normalcy. We're not entirely sure how that's all going to work. I don't know if anyone knows. But we want to better prepare ourselves for that time uh, coming, hopefully, later this year. Uh, Additionally, starting on March 21st, we are also going to provide another uh, adult Bible fellowship. A a Sunday school hour, if you will, uh, for those who are interested in doing that. That study is going to look at the Gospel of John. It's also going to meet in the fellowship hall, and we'll have our 50 or so seats available for that. You'll sign up for that class each week, just like you do for the worship service. Hopefully these are things that move us along and prepare us for more as hopefully COVID-related guidelines loosen and uh, the the opportunity for more presents itself. So those are the things that are coming forward uh, starting in two Sundays from now, March 21st. Next week, Is your spring forward Sunday as the time change occurs, and then the week after that, first day of spring, if that's a thing here in New England, um, (laughs) maybe springish. That will be then the Sunday we will be having just one service in the morning. All right. That being said, hopefully you had the time to turn to Exodus chapter 29. We are going to be considering. The dynamic of these three chapters as they look at Design to Dwell, and our focus is going to be specifically on the priesthood, we're going to read verses 38 through 46 of Exodus 29 that essentially get to the heart of what's going on here for us, and then we can use that as, a, as our way forward um, through this, these three chapters. So again, Exodus 29, starting again at verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer with it a grain offering, and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generation, generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting. And the altar, Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God, as we come to your word, we certainly pray that you would be with us this morning. Perhaps we come weary or worn down Perhaps we come longing for your grace. Maybe we come empty and numb. Whatever the reasons or the dynamics that might be at play in our hearts, God, we're here. Here in person, here together, online, we're here. And we ask that you would do a good work in us. And so, God, would you be with us in the preaching, in the hearing? And the receiving, the believing, the trusting, the clinging to this, your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This time, this month, three years ago, back when we used to go to these things called a movie theater, during this time, a phenomenon hit a global scale. The movie, The Black Panther, swept across the globe, bringing in billions of dollars. It received high reviews from critics and was repeatedly watched by countless fans in the theater. And the story of Black Panther, which I'm sure many or most of us in here are familiar enough with, whether we've seen it or not, was primarily set in a fictional country in Africa, with all the actors and actresses portrayed by um, African-Americans and others, um, and these actors and these actresses that were portraying these characters in this African country toured and met fans from all over the world. And as they did so, they experienced another phenomenon. A constant barrage of thanks and gratitude from many Many African-American boys and girls and people of color. And at the heart of this gratitude and was the expression of thanks that comes from having representation and, and being able to identify with what you were seeing on this screen. African-American boys and girls saw in these heroes, and warriors and princes and princesses, They saw themselves. They saw in them people like them who acted courageously and selflessly and with great valor. They were greatly encouraged. And not just kids, adults too. Perhaps you've seen some of those viral video clips of people just weeping with joy as they got a chance to meet these actors and actresses who represented themselves in a way unlike any other time. This representation and this identification was incredibly powerful and it brought hope for the future in so many young lives. And it brought courage in the moment, in the present. What happens when you feel like someone relates to you, identifies with you, and you with them? Very powerful, isn't it? exactly what we find in even greater measure in Christ, in Jesus. An even greater representation, an even greater identification that brings an even greater hope for our future and an even greater courage in our present. And we get to make much of that together today by looking in the Old Testament at this priesthood, this office that God gave very intricate and meticulous directions to in His Word. As it then is focused on this representation and identification with sinful people so that, just as we read, God might dwell with sinners such as us. There's a lot of good news in the details for us today. And that good news finds its ultimate end in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which hopefully by now will not come as a surprise. But that is where we will go. So as we do that, my hope is that it just causes us all the more to cling to Jesus. (laughs) Cling to Jesus through faith. Cling to Jesus with hope. Cling to Jesus with joy. Cling to Jesus even if the midst of our lives are wearying and challenging and overwhelming. We have one in Christ who has identified with us at the very deepest level and takes us to the greatest heights possible. And so let's consider together this role of the priesthood in two ways. First, the role of the priesthood reflects the character of God. The role of the priesthood first reflects to the people of God the character of God. The dynamic that we see in these three chapters that give out greater details about what it looks like, like literally, like Their clothing, and where they are to wear certain articles, and how they're to do it, and when they are to do these various sacrifices and offerings, all of the details are all ultimately reflecting the character of God. This role of the priesthood is a set-apart role. It's set-apart with a purpose. And this set-apart role is to reflect our set-apart God. First, we find in chapter 28, garments. Incredible descriptions of the garments the priesthood are to wear. And these garments are given a a very important purpose. If you would look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. God giving the instructions about what the priesthood was to wear. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. Holy garments for glory and for beauty. Number of things here. First of all, these garments are called holy garments. The word there for holy just simply means to be set apart, distinct unique the priests were dressed differently for their service this wasn't not the common everyday clothing that they were to wear into their role as priests not only that but they weren't to wear those clothings out into the everyday common occurrence they were set aside for a reason for a purpose. And these garments that were to be considered set apart or holy convey the set apart, distinct, unique holiness of God. They were not, these garments, this whole setup for the priesthood wasn't, I mean, in light of the whole tabernacle that we were considering last week, um, all of it together is not setting up a, a, a dynamic that reflects a casual, indifferent God. A casual, indifferent God would not have given such detailed and meticulous and beautiful descriptions of how this tabernacle system was to be set up. He would have been okay with your hoodie and your flip flops. In this in light of what is being conveyed. No, it is reflecting a holy God, and it's shown even in How the priests were dressed. Holy garments. Now we see also in verse two that it wasn't just holy garments, but it was also garments that were for glory. And that means this this Hebrew word here means weighty or heavy, that there's an ultimate seriousness about the priesthood, that what they were doing was heavy and weighty in seriousness. The weightiness of their service reflects then the weightiness of God's glory. God is a serious God. His glory is overwhelming. We considered that in their series so far that it would just be so blazing bright. It would just incinerate us. And so there's a sense of seriousness associated with the priesthood clothing. God is serious. His glory is no joke. Don't forget that. As you see this it's not like they were putting on their church clothes to perform. They were wearing these clothes because it was a reflection of how serious God is about his glory. And also to convey to the people that God is to ultimately be the thing we are most serious about. That God would be the one that has the most ultimate serious in our hearts, that even the clothing is to call our hearts and our, our affections that direction. Now, this holiness and that seriousness and this glory and that seriousness aren't without great affection either, and that's what we see in that third word in, chapter, in verse 2, is that not only are these clothes for holiness and, and glory, but they're also for beauty, beauty. Not just a serious, angry God. No. (laughs) No. Glorious God who makes beautiful things. The word for beauty is usually associated with the best jewels and the best diadems. It's things. It's a word set aside for things that produce awe and inspire hearts. And the work of the priesthood carried with it a beauty that was to produce awe and wonder in the people. And this awe and wonder in the people, brought on by this incredible dynamics all associated with the tabernacle, was ultimately to be produced by the beauty of God. Again, this is reflecting the character of God. God is holy, God has glory, God has beauty. And here, the priesthood are reflecting that out. And there's another aspect here at play. Not only are these garments holy ones for glory and for beauty, but they're also to be made skillfully. Look at verse 3 of Exodus 28. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Skillful. It literally means to be wise of heart. What does, that, what does that mean? It means that these skilled workers were putting all their heart into their work. Not just their skill and ability, but all their heart to make these beautiful uh, garments for this beautiful service in this beautiful tabernacle to bring glory to this beautiful God. All again, a reflection of the character of God. Holy, glory, beauty, skill. Points beyond the priesthood. Points beyond the tabernacle. Points to the character of our God. Now this helps us see that we, you and I, again, once again, we were made for worship, God designed the human heart for worship. And worship is making much of the holy and the glory and the beauty with skill. We are made for worship. But our hearts, because of sin, can be easily distracted by lesser things. It is very easy for our hearts to be distracted by lesser things. Sin has brought a wreckage to our worship. You and I, if we don't have a steady diet of the holiness and glory and beauty of God, our hearts will wander off after things that do not carry the same holiness and glory and beauty. We will be enamored with a relationship. What that relationship would say about us or give to us or make us feel And so we devote our lives to that relationship. It's easy for our hearts to wander off into a political issue that consumes our thoughts, our affections, our actions. That we can hold on to it so tightly that we squeeze out everything else so that nothing remains except our political perspective. Or maybe we just... Our general run of the mill, self absorbed people that the entire cosmos revolves around our thoughts, our affections, our wants, our desires. We replace God with ourselves and what is ultimate in our hearts. It's easy for our hearts to wander off. We need constant reminding, we need constant renewal. We need constant restoration of our weak and wobbly, wandering off hearts. You and I, we need, we need the gospel regularly. Because our hearts can wander off regularly. And the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, who fulfills all that the priesthood is pointing forward to in the character of God, Jesus, who perfectly reflects the holiness and glory and beauty of God to us, we desperately need our hearts reset by the gospel so that our hearts would find great joy and great hope and great wonder and great awe in the holiness of God, in the the glory of God, and in the beauty of God. And that the gospel actually paves the way for our hearts to be continually refreshed and renewed and reset to this. Did you know that? That that the gospel is our means of regularly being refreshed at the reflection of the character of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 I feel like sometimes there isn't a week that goes by where that verse isn't running around in my head and my heart or on my eyes. And we all, with unveiled face, unveiled face, Moses would hang out with God and he would be bright. <laughs> and everybody was like, dude, you got to cover that up. And it was sort of a provision. Well, the gospel removes such necessary provisions. And with, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Because of the gospel, we get to behold the glory of God through Jesus. We do that through faith in Christ and we do that through trust in his word. But what we behold, we behold because Christ has removed every obstacle and we can see freshly the goodness and glory and the holiness and the grace and the awesomeness and the beauty of God. And that, through the gospel, renews our hearts, resets our hearts, refreshes our hearts. So, What the priesthood's role was to reflect and communicate to the people. God is holy and he has glory and beauty. And Jesus makes a way now for you to be refreshed in that. All the barriers are removed. And as we behold him, as we rest in him, as we rejoice in him, more and more of our lives reflect more and more. Of his character. Little bit by little bit by little bit. Take courage and comfort in that. Jesus cares. For all the intricacies. As you read in Exodus 28. 29 and 30. Details and minutiae. And intricacies. Jesus cares for them all. And fulfills them all. So that we could behold. The holiness and glory. And beauty of God. Secondly, not only does the priesthood reflect the character of God, but we find here that the priesthood represents the people of God. So you have that sort of dual nature at play, an arrow going up and an arrow going down. The arrow going up, or excuse me, the arrow going down is the priesthood reflecting the character of God to the people of God. The arrow going up is the priesthood representing the people of God before God. And in this, we find that the priesthood did a number of things. First of all, they stood in the place of the people. The priesthood stood in the place of the people. I'm just going to reference these verses, and I'll read one of them. But Exodus 28, verse 12, 28, verse 29, verse 30, verse 38... All these verses are, are speaking to how the priesthood were representatives of the people of God before God, looking at verse twelve. And you shall set two stones on the shoulder piece of the Ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron, high priest and the priesthood by way of their service, bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders remembrance. So as the priests would go in and do their work, they would be taking these representative dynamics of the people into those places of sacrifice and offering and priestly care and work. They were representing the people of God, standing in their place before God. And when they did that, as those representatives, we find that secondly, they performed. A crucial task every single day. Every day. Without fail, morning and night. The priesthood performed daily sacrifices for sin. Part of their representation of the people of God before God was that they were always dealing with sin. They were constantly dealing with the major obstacle between a holy God and a sinful people and this crazy paradox of God dwelling with people. Their role was to represent the people before God, and they did so primarily through the daily sacrifices for sin. Looking again at the verses that we read to begin our time together. Verse 38 and 39 of Exodus chapter 29. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old day by day regularly. (laughs) How about that for emphasis? Day by day kind of gets the point. And then regularly. (laughs) Day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Always sacrificing. Always sacrificing in the morning and at night. Why? Always sacrificing because always sinning. There was always sin. So there was always a need for sacrifice. Day in and day out. Morning and night. Day in and day out. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. Year in and year out. Decade in and decade out if the priest got to live that long. And then when he died, replace. And let's do it again. Imagine this. Just always. Overwhelming, right? We live right now in sort of like this always day in and day out almost claustrophobic aspects of all the things brought on by COVID, wearying. Imagine that for generations upon generations upon generations. It's overwhelming, staggering, day in, day out, morning and night. Why though? Well, back in Exodus 29, verses 43 through 45, God speaking, I will dwell among the people of Israel, And will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. All of that sacrifice was sort of holding the line, if you will, until Christ would come, until God would deal with the sin finally, fully, and forever. All of that sacrifice, morning and evening, served as a way for God to dwell with sinful people because that's God's aim. He wanted to remove the obstacles between his people and his holiness. And so he provides this priesthood to do this work that would one day be ultimately fulfilled. But imagine the level of care that this holy God would have. He's not wholly angry, wants to crush you. He's holy and glorious and gracious and provides a way to be with you. Staggering. The priesthood's role reflects that character and represents the people, so that dynamic can happen. But you might be wondering to yourself, why so much sacrificing? Why so much? A couple other spots in the Bible help us understand that. First of all, when you look forward into Hebrews, which is a very important and necessary book in our New Testament, helping make under make clear these aspects in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God is in the business of restoring sinners to himself and removing the obstacle of their sin. And that Hebrews passage is saying that the means by which this blood is shed, this blood that is shed, it is the means by which forgiveness of sin is possible. And what is that based on? Well, then we look back and we look into Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. We get this further detailed explanation about this priesthood work and their ongoing sacrificial process. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. A life would stand in place of a life. So that life would continue with God. Life in the place. Now all of this is pointing forward to then Jesus. Pointing forward to the once for all priest pointing forward to when it wouldn't need to be morning and evening, day by day, regularly, pointing forward to once for all. Once again, I encourage you with Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. Listen to this explanation of how the priesthood finds their ultimate yes and amen in Jesus. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. Practical. They, just, they died and so more had to happen. More had to come along. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. The priesthood in the Old Testament were many because they all died. Jesus holds his representing the people of God priesthood permanently because he defeated death they died and they were no more. Jesus died but rose again and his priesthood continues on. Then when you look further down in Hebrews 7 it says this in verses 26 and 27 for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He Jesus has no end. No sorry, no need. He has no end too, theologically true. Um, But he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He did not need a sacrifice for himself, but he was the sacrifice for all of his people. And so get this, Hebrews looks at the whole Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship system and says, To us today, right now, Jesus is both priest and sacrifice. He is the permanent priest representing you before God and the once-for-all sacrifice so that you would have no more obstacle that weighs heavy on your soul, sending you into a faraway place away from God for all eternity. Christ removes it and then brings you to a place you could never get on your own. All of this the once for all sacrificed in his permanent priesthood so that you and I are fully, finally, and forever represented before God and fully, finally, able to dwell with God forever. All of it. Reflecting the character of God and representing the people of God, this priesthood finds their yes and amen in Jesus Christ who fulfills it all. Staggering. So what do we do? What do you do with this? Well, I want to just implore everybody in here, those watching online. I don't know if there is any way that I could stress this strong enough. There is nothing that you could treasure in this life greater than the treasure that is Jesus Christ. You will be convinced, or at least the world And the things around you. Will try to convince you otherwise. But I want to say to you. All that God has done for you. In Christ. Is of infinite. Eternal worth. And brings. Eternal life. For all those who rest in him. And trust him. And hold on to them. And brings you joy. And courage. And hope. In your right nows. If God is able to overcome the greatest obstacle of your soul. Is He not enough for you right now? In your dry and weary season? Is He not enough for you right now? In your distracted, apathetic season? Is He not enough for you right now? In your discouraged and weary season? Is He not enough for you right now? He entered into our humanity took on our brokenness and sin and shame. He dealt with it on the cross with a forever implication. He defeated an enemy we could never defeat in the grave. And he goes to a place we could never get to on our own, and he gives us a grace to carry us home. What could we treasure greater than that? what could fill our heads and hearts with awe and wonder that is greater than that, friends. If you're chasing something that isn't Christ, stop. If you're stagnant, not moving any direction, look to Christ. There is no greater hope than what we have in Jesus. Because Jesus reflects the glory, and the beauty of God. And Jesus represents the redeemed and the rescue people of God. He has identified with you so that your identity could be found in Him. So friends, set your hope fully on the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ and find in him hope for your future and courage in your presence. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that how it finds its fullness, its completeness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our hearts would be, one, convinced and moved to treasure him above all, to treasure you by means of faith in Christ, that we would see that you really are ultimately worth our hearts, our adoration, our worship, our lives. God, may that bring to us comfort and a balm to our weary souls. And may that bring to us strength and conviction to live for you and your glory. May that bring us great joy as we behold your beauty through the gospel of Jesus. God, do these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen before we stand and close with our benediction, I just have one last quick announcement. So not only is March 21st a big day in terms of our morning time, but that is also, March 21st is our next churchwide prayer night. So for those who are accustomed to coming at the 5 p.m. service, you get to come again at 5 p.m. on March 21st. To pray uh, together. uh, And we've been able to pull that off in light of COVID in very encouraging ways. I just want to encourage you all to set aside that time and gather together to pray, especially as we pray about moving into the next season together as a church family, as we pray for things that are heavy on our hearts. God's gospel work going on throughout the world, as we gather to pray, we're strengthened. And so I want to encourage you all, you'll be able to sign up for that just like you do for the worship service. And let's gather and let's pray. Again, March 21st, 5 p.m. All right, let's stand for our benediction. <clears throat> Once again, found in, at the end of 2 Corinthians. May we leave here knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May we know those with us this day, this week. Amen.